Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Historical Fiction Unpacked. This is episode nine. Um, I feel like I should say at some point here that when I started this podcast, I fully intended to read an entire book for every author I interviewed. Um, But I've been doing so many interviews. I mean, you probably have only heard maybe half of the interviews I've done so far. And I have found it absolutely impossible. Actually, my stress level went down considerably when I decided I could not read every book. Not that I was going to read every book, but I was going to read the book that we were discussing on the podcast. And I did that for quite a few of the authors. But then at a certain point, I just had to say, okay, I will read them if I can, and if I can't, I won't. So that was the case with today's guest, Joanna Davidson-Politano. She, um, her new book, The Love Note, I would love to read it. I wish I had enough time, but between writing and recording and interviewing, um, I just don't have time to read every book. So maybe I'll get to it eventually. But our guest today, as I mentioned, is Joanna Davidson Politano. She is the award-winning author of Lady Jane Disappears, A Rumored Fortune, and Finding Lady Enderly. When she's not homeschooling her small children, she spends much of her time spinning tales that capture the colorful, exquisite details of ordinary lives. She is always on the hunt for random acts of kindness, people willing to share their deepest secrets with a stranger, and hidden stashes of sweets. So guys, I loved talking to Joanna. I should say that her book, The Love Note, released this past Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. Um, And we recorded this a few weeks ago before it released. So that's kind of, there might be a little discrepancy um, when it comes to dates when we're talking, just so you know. But without further ado, here's our conversation. Joanna Davidson Politano. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Hi, I'm glad to be here. It's good to have you. So your fourth novel, The Love Note, releases October 20th. Can you tell us about this novel? Sure. It's a lost love letter story. Uh, The main character is a nurse who helps her father, um, but she really wants to be a physician. Um, So she doesn't have any plans to get married. Her father would love for her to get married so that she was settled in her life. Um, so when she finds a, a love letter in her desk that has not been opened, uh, they make a deal that she can take a nursing job where this letter came from in the house that it came from. And if she succeeds, he'll leave her alone. And if she fails, she has to marry the man of his choosing. Oh. So she kind of sets out to uh, reunite this love letter with the person who never got it. Um, and to help this family heal as well. Um, so I read the very beginning, and right off the bat, she's refusing um, a marriage proposal um, rather yeah. publicly. <laughs> <laughs> and but it's it's so it's easy to get sucked right into this book um, and interested in the characters and everything. Um, how did you come mm-hmm. up with the idea for it? Um, honestly, it was a last minute um, idea. 
my publisher asked for three new book ideas for a contract and uh, I gave them three. They turned one down and said, can you give us another one in a few days? I had no other ideas. I usually have lots of notes and characters ahead of time. So I literally yeah. looked at another book that my friend had written about the, the dead letter office. And I was like, oh, I love the idea of like lost letters. And then I started thinking about my grandparents who communicated in World War II completely through letters. That was their entire relationship before they got married for the most part. Um, and so I just loved that idea of letter communication and expressing yourself through letters. And then a lost letter, it just really struck me. So uh, the idea came in little bits and pieces. And I had two paragraphs of a summary to go on when I started. And so the story just kind of unfolded as I wrote. And I kept changing directions and changing who I thought had the written the letter and who was supposed to receive it. And it just kept flip-flopping. And it was so much fun to let it unfold. That's cool. So it sounds like you're a pantser. Definitely. Is that actually, always the case? Or? For the most part, <laughs> I tried to plot actually with this book, The Love Note. Uh, I spent about a month on a very detailed outline that I ended up not using because when I tried to put it down on paper, it just, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, like the outline, I could tell myself the story and it sounded great, but it just didn't lay down on paper. There were a lot of holes. Um, so I ended up tossing the outline and just writing the way that I normally write, which is kind of by the seat of my pants. Yeah. So it's full of, this book is full of mystery and intrigue. Um, are most of your books that way? Do you always have like a mystery going on? Um, and do you, do you not know the, the end of the mystery until you finish the book or how does it usually work? Uh, most of my books have, well, all of my books have mystery so far because I love to be surprised. I love curiosity. Um, that to me is more mm -hmm. intriguing in a book than suspense or romance or things like that. It's that, well, how did this happen and what happened in the past and things like that. So I love including those elements. Um, and as yeah. far as if I knew the ending or not, I always know the ending when I start writing, but then I always change it too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you think you know the ending, but it's not the actual ending. Is that what you mean? Yeah, for the most part. Sometimes I ask my friends how they think it's going to end. I give them the first 60 or 70% and I say, who who did it or what's the the backstory here or, you know, figure it out. And I take right. all of their answers and toss them and I make sure I write something completely different. <laughs> so wow. I really like to surprise myself. I like to surprise readers. Um, so a lot of times when I start with an ending in mind, I write part of the book and I'm like, this is really corny. This is really guessable. And I just, I, I try to turn it on its head and go a different direction. Mm, I like that. Um, so what was your favorite part of writing this book? Um, well, honestly, the entire first draft was pretty painstaking because I didn't really know anything about the book. And it just, it wasn't unfolding very neatly. <clears throat> Everything I tried to do, I'd go a certain direction I'd write for several chapters and it wouldn't work. So I'd delete and then go a different direction and delete. And it just wasn't laying flat on paper until I got the entire first draft done. I sent it to my mentor and he's like, you have the entire wrong theme in your book. And I looked at it just slightly differently. I'm like, Oh, this is what it's actually about. And I didn't even change much <clears throat> in the story. I did chop off the end and rewrite the ending. Uh, but most of the other story remained the way it was. 
uh, I just looked at it with a different lens and suddenly all the pieces fit easily together. And that was so much fun. Just looking at it after it was drafted and having it all make sense and seeing exactly kind of what God intended from the beginning and being able to brush that off. Wow. That's neat. So when you were writing that rough draft, when it, when it was, um, maybe not seeming like it was coming together, how, how did that feel? Were you like, okay, this is it. I've written three books. I'm done. Or what, (laughs) what what were your thoughts? Yeah, I I pretty much was just like, okay, I hope readers liked the first three because that's all they're going to get that's going to be decent. And then then, then there's going to be this and they're going to lose faith in me. So I kind of, my other stories, I always felt at a certain point like, okay, this isn't working. Right. This whole entire draft, it felt like this isn't working. Mm. And it it actually worked better than I thought once I looked at it a little bit differently. Um, it just, I was, I don't know, the pieces weren't quite connecting, um, without the missing piece, but it was, it was a frustrating first draft. <laughs> I bet. So you can't tell us exactly what the missing piece was because then you'd spoil the story, right? Well, it was just more the theme. I started out with a the theme of the power of words and I just, uh, I figured out that the theme was something different. So I can say that much. <laughs> okay. Can you discuss the setting of the love note? Sure. It's set on the coast. I've, um, I, I kind of like the water. I, I've got several books set near the water. So this is kind of near on the, the white, coast of, uh, kind of near sorry. the white cliffs of Dover, kind of in that general okay. area in a made up town. So, um, it's very, uh, moist and coastal and, um, that kind of thing. And it's a horse farm. So there's uh, wild horses that run on the beach. Wow. And Well, I guess they're more feral horses. And so they bring those in, and, and there's just a, a very wild, um, unfettered feel to the entire setting, from the horses to the beach to the water. And even the house used to be an overgrown mess that they have sort of reclaimed. So this is in England, in the Victorian era, right? Yes, yes. I'm sorry. I should have specified that. Oh, that's okay. I just wanted to clarify. But um, so why did you choose these places in England to set your story? Well, most of my settings are places that I've personally visited. Um, I I kind of, I like to be able to walk through it a little bit to get a a feel for all five senses in the area. Um, So most of the houses, this house is an exception, uh, but most of the houses that I set my books in, I've visited. This one, it was just the area that I visited, and I absolutely loved it. It was just so breathtaking. Mm. So are all your books set in Victorian England? or? Yeah. My debut book, Lady Jane Disappears, um, just kind of evolved in the Victorian setting um, about a serial writer. And uh, when I turned that into my publisher, they decided to brand me Victorian England fiction. So... The other stories kind of came from that as well. Yeah. Why this time period? You you said your first novel, did you just feel like it would only work in Victorian England? Or how did you decide that that was where it was set? Well, honestly, when I sat down to write my debut novel, um, I had decided to quit trying to get published. And so I just sat down and was like, what intrigues me? What is really drawing my heart right now? What would I just love to write? And this Mm -hmm. secret writer of um, serial novels just kind of 
started spinning out. And <clears throat> the Victorian England setting, I think, came kind of naturally to me. Because when I was a kid, most of the books that I read were Charles Dickens, uh, the Brontes. Mm -hmm. So between the Regency and the Victorian era, uh, I don't know if it was the the language or if it was the characters or what it was, but I, I've always kind of loved that that era very much. Right. Okay, so can you talk more about how you had decided to quit trying to get published? How long <laughs> did you try before? And um, yeah, tell us more about that story. Sure. Well, I was working for a pharmaceutical company for about eight years, and I was not writing any fiction. I was just writing um, medical material and FDA documents and things that nobody really enjoys reading. And my creative brain was yeah. just drying up. And uh, I was a at a point in my life where I was a caretaker for somebody. So I had to go to work and then go home. And so I started writing a story about my great-grandparents that was just captivating to me. It was just the secret story that had kind of been revealed through my family. And I just fell in love with storytelling so much. And mm. um, so from that point, I was like, I should try writing books and getting published. So I wrote for several years, maybe five or six years. And I submitted maybe three or four times. And to me, that was a lot. And yeah, because um, it took a lot of, um, you know, you go to a conference and you meet somebody who invites you to send something. So I submitted a few times and I either got a rejection or no response. and. For several years, I would enter contests and things like that. Didn't see any progress. And then I started having my kids. And I thought, well, you know, obviously God wants me to be a stay-at-home mom now. So I'm going to shelf um, publication for just a little while and see what happens later. And just enjoy my kids. And I had no regrets about that. Um, but then when my daughter was born, when she was a newborn, she took four-hour naps. So I sat with my headphones on, just put some music on. And I just, I wrote for fun. I wrote the yeah. this Victorian story about a serial novelist that was just so much fun. And um, I didn't know if it'd be a short story or a novel or what it was, but I, I just was like, well, no one's going to read it. I'm not trying to get published right now. So I didn't worry about the genre. I didn't worry about the, the style or anything, really. I just had fun with it. And of course, that became my debut novel. Um, when I was having a, another uh, conversation with God about it, it was clear that he was like, okay, I was not the one who told you to quit trying to get published. <laughs> so instead, I would like you to go do it right now. So I ended up going to a one-day conference. Uh, I got three offers of representation from agents. And then I picked, oh my an, picked an agent and I got three offers of publication. So it was just like wow. the doors were totally shut and then they blew open at the right time. And uh, yeah, it pretty much was because I quit trying, I think. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Sometimes we have to give up the dream or surrender it before God gives it back to us. Yes. It also helps to not really worry when you're writing what people think. Yes. Oh, totally. And just, I think the joy of the craft, sometimes we can lose that when we're so focused on success, whatever that means, but yeah. Um, and, and fulfilling expectations and everything you lose sight of. It. Right. You're right. Um, so 
how do you work your faith in Jesus into your books? Um, it's not something that I necessarily try to do. It would be hard not to do. Yeah. But I've said a lot of other places that writing is like a, an ongoing conversation with God. So when I first sat down to write um, even my, my great-grandparents' story before I was trying to get published, I would ask God really big questions and not have any answers. And we would just kind of untangle them through uh, a story. And we'd maybe not reach a conclusion, but we'd just sort of get some aha moments and things like that. And so I always start my day um, saturating myself as much as possible with God and spending time with Him. And then everything that comes out of that has a bit of flavor of God. Even if I don't mention God or have a salvation message or anything like that, it is all um, stemming from my talks with Him and from my relationship with Him. Yeah, that's cool. So it's more organic. It's not like you're trying to shoehorn no. <laughs> things into the story. No, <laughs> It just happens naturally. And you know, I have tried to shoehorn some Christianity into some different things because, you know, I get feedback on like uh, the first chapter of something be like, you know, where's, where's this Christian fiction? I don't see any gospel message or whatever. And it just, it never mm. felt right. And it got taken back out and somehow it, it truth still managed to come out of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I feel like it's just, when it's forced, it's just not, um, it's going to be a turnoff more than, than drawing people in. Yeah. I think. Yes, definitely. So tell me about your research process for this book or for all your books. How do you go about researching? Uh, well, I, I do a lot of different types of research. Um, I can't physically go to the places that I'm writing about anymore. Um, with little kids, it's harder to travel. Yeah. So I have to refer to notes. I have a ton of notes from my trips. Mm. Um, I often look at those. Um, I love to read fiction that is set in that era, or not set in that era, but that was written in that era. Oh. Um, I feel like it gives a really good sense for the people and the mindsets back then and what was going on and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I often find several big key areas, uh, like my fifth book that's coming up is set in the ballet. So I found uh, a ballet historian and I bought every book he wrote and it was incredibly enlightening. I spent like four or five months just reading those books. And uh, it was it was fabulous. For this book, there was a little bit of medical research, um, a little bit of setting research, uh, a little bit of legal research about the rights of women and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And then just a lot of researching throughout for the little details. And uh, I do a lot of research on the clothes and things like that. Um, I get kind of excited about those little details and things. Right. Yeah, I probably spent four to five months researching before I wrote this book. Um, <clears throat> and then in the evenings, I tend to read my research books a little bit as I'm writing as well. So I just kind of add to it and get all the details and things like that as much as I can. So is that when you do the majority of your writing in the evening or what does a what does a typical day look like for Joanna Davidson Politano? <laughs> I try really hard to get up before my kids. That's the big thing. Um, yeah. It used to be a nap time thing. Like only nap time was when I wrote. Nap times are going away. So now yeah. I kind of have to squeeze it in 
My son will still occasionally take naps, and I have my daughter doing independent schoolwork in the afternoon. So, you know, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes there. But primarily, it's when the house is really quiet. My husband goes to work pretty early. So I'll get up with him and uh, spend some Bible time and then start writing until the kids wake up. And then usually in the evening, uh, I'm exhausted, so I'll do more social media research, um, more like consumer things instead of output things. Right. That makes sense. Okay, so I want to go back to, you mentioned like the themes in this book. Um, can you talk at all about the, what the spiritual themes are? Or is that like, oh, sure. um, is that too much of a spoiler? No, I don't think so. Um, I started out <clears throat> looking at the power of words and how the people closest to us can have the greatest impact with just a few words. Um, and it was, you know, this letter that is just a handful of words circulated through the house and had a huge impact on the entire family um, as each person read it and read something different into it. Um, so that was where I started. And then, of course, my mentor was like, that's that's not what this is about. It's not the power of words. It's about this like great, huge, yawning desire that we all have to be known and to be loved authentically. Mm. So the heroine turns down all these marriage proposals and everyone kind of you know, I thought when I first started writing that she was just very anti-romance, but she has the biggest romantic heart. She just wasn't satisfied um, with um, the marriage that would be like, okay, I'm going to set you up in my house as my housekeeper. And it's a domestic, you know, kind of understanding and relationship. Right. Um, you know, all these men saw her as like, you run this clinic for your father so efficiently. Uh, you're very intelligent. You'd make a really good housewife. And she's like, no, that's not you don't even know me if that's what you think of me. And so I, I came to understand she has the biggest romantic heart, but she just wanted something authentic. She wanted somebody who actually knew who she was. Mm. So I think at one point she said, if somebody were to give me the gift of a medical bag, I would probably be completely enamored with them because they would get me and you know they would be giving value to my uh, chosen profession. Like They would understand how important it was for me to be a doctor. Yeah. So she um, she just kind of gets burned out on men for quite a while. Um, but the whole theme of the book is about the fact that like everybody in the entire house has this desire, the same desire that she has for something authentic. Some of them have something less authentic. Some of them have nothing and they're lonely. But they all have this this great chasm in them that they try to fill in other ways that just... Um, they've been really disappointed in their love story one way or another. And so the spiritual theme has to do with the fact that these cracks are there to send us basically on a treasure hunt and to get us looking for something authentic that we can find in God. Mm -hmm. So, And they do find, uh, some of them do find authentic human relationships as well. And some of those are the coolest stories, but um, the heroine ends up kind of discovering uh, what it means to fill those cracks with God. Yeah, I love it. No, well, thank you. Um, so you mentioned, I think you mentioned a little bit what you're writing now. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, sure. The current book that I just turned into my publisher is set in the Victorian theater. Um, and it's a ballet story. And it ended up being full of color and life mm. and uh, lots of beautiful imagery that I enjoyed writing. Um. Then the book after that 
is a little bit different. It takes place in the asylums and it has to do, the main character is a concert pianist and there's the very burgeoning idea of music as therapy. So, and that, that's the book that I'm currently in the process of drafting. Okay. So you're like drafting a book that won't be released until 2022. Is that Yes. Okay. Yes. I write one book a year and they come out about a year after I turn them in. Wow. Um, Yeah, I guess that's the typical way that it works with traditional publishers. So so what are you hoping readers will get out of your books? Oh, I think a sense of God as much as possible. Um, Some curiosity um, and some satisfaction with what they find. Yeah. Um, enjoyment of a good mystery, uh, maybe a little taste of the Victorian era. Uh, they're kind of a gothic style mystery uh, without being too dark or scary. Mm-hmm. So are they, I think I read somewhere that you love like Daphne du Maurier. Um, are mm-hmm. they that kind, that type of feel in the book or not that dark? <laughs> Probably not quite that dark. I've read a few of hers like Jamaica in that I could have just done without reading. They were way too gruesome, too dark. Um, So I don't go there. I don't go that much. Um, uh, I don't have a lot of dead bodies or gruesome things going on. There's a lot more curiosity and mystery, especially with past generations that, you know, are affecting future generations. So they're trying to figure out what happened, uh, family secrets, um, big old abandoned houses, those types of things. Um, nothing ghost really, um, nothing violent, um, but definitely that kind of spooky, eerie feel. Right. That's cool. So, um, you mentioned that the first book you wrote, which isn't published, I assume, unless. Nope, not published. Okay. (laughs) Um, do you think that, so that's like a family story. Do you think you'll ever go back and, and like rewrite it, try to get it published? Or is that just, was that just your practice? Uh, I'm not really sure. Honestly, I promised my grandma that I would not publish it while anybody in the story was still alive. Mm. So is it all true to life? Yes. Yes. Okay. It was all, there were a lot, uh, certain people in my family who didn't quite know the history of their origins or their parents or things like that. And she just didn't want uh, any animosity coming up between people with things like that. So um, I actually dug up birth certificates and death certificates to find the true story because there were a lot of different stories floating around. Wow. Um, but everyone is now gone who's in that story. Mm-hmm. I could rewrite it, but it's so different than my normal. I mean, it's set in America in the turn of the century, 1900s. Yeah. And it's just very different. The main character is a man. It's my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, it, you know, is a really cool story. He played the uh, piano in the silent movie theaters and things like that. Oh wow! Um, most likely, it will be something that's just a fun family story for the benefit of my family to know our history. Yeah. Either way, it's really cool to have put it down and and remember it. Definitely, I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um. So, how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a question I ask all all my authors that I interview. I think there's so many things that don't change 
you know, the Victorian era, we think of it as being so different, but people are, are still people. They're human. They're um, primarily a bit selfish. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Victorian era is known for covering up the truth and for making things look pretty and pure and for hiding indiscretions and things like that. Well, we're not a whole lot different than that with the way we approach social media uh, and, and kind of paste a pretty glow onto our, our true lives. Um, so I think looking at the way that people did things back then can still definitely pertain to how we live now. Yeah. So if we, if we write the spiritual implications of, you know, living back then, there is just so much truth that we can draw for the way we live today. Cause we're all, st- we're still human, right? Right. So, um, Humans haven't changed a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) True. Very true. So to finish up, who is your favorite historical fiction author? And what's one of the best historical novels you've read this year? (laughs) You got a paper and a pencil? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, always. Um, (laughs) Oh, my. I have so many that I've enjoyed. Um, I'm not sure I can even pick just one. Yeah. Well, you can tell me. If I really enjoy, I enjoy Christy Cambron a lot, mm. uh, for beautiful, lush, well-researched stories. Um, I enjoy Susie Finkbeiner for a real authentic look at family life. Uh, Tessa Afshar is excellent with biblical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Misu Andrus as well. Yeah. She's been on the podcast. Um, you can, yeah, I did an interview with her. Oh, she's wonderful. Yes. Um, and as far as just pure enjoyment reading for historical fiction, I would say Joanne Bischoff. Oh, yeah. And Laurie Benton are amazing. Yeah, good choices. Do you have one book you read this year that you would like to recommend or one historical fiction book? I would say, I don't know. I read Elizabeth Byler Younce's book, um, Solace, The Solace of Water. That was oh, yeah. very good. I haven't read that one. I read her her newer one. Um, oh, the the Bright Unknown. That's what it's called. Yeah, yes, about the the orphans. Yeah, the um, living in a, in a mental institution. They were growing up in a mental institution. So yeah, I loved that book. So I'd like to read more of hers. It's good. I would say Tessa Afshar's Pearl in the Sand also. Okay. completely bowled me over. I think she's coming out with an anniversary edition this year. And that is just a, a very big, memorable story. Mm. What is that about? Uh, that's the story of Rahab. Okay. It was such a beautiful look at God and how he views people. It was beautiful. Mm. So, Joanna, it was nice to talk to you. Can you tell me where can listeners purchase the love note? Um, Baker Book House right now is having a pre-order sale, uh, so that would be the first place I would check. Um, otherwise, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Okay, great. Where can they follow you online? I have a Facebook author page at Joanna Davidson Politano. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm starting up with some Pinterest boards for my books. Um, and my website is jdpstories.com. Great. Wonderful. Thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, I really appreciate it. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you too. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I did want to mention that the 
um, sale at Baker Bookhouse that Joanna mentioned is over because the book is out now, and that was a pre-order sale. Um, but there, when I checked the other day, there was a sale, another sale going on. So I will put the link to her book from Baker Bookhouse in the show notes. Make sure you check out the show notes at alisontreat.com because I'll have links to other things there too. And um, if you guys enjoy this podcast, it would be great if you could leave a review and at least a rating on whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. Also, be sure to visit my Instagram. I try to hit my stories on there on Thursdays so that I can interact about the podcast. Um, and I'd love to communicate with you on there. My handle is Allison Treat, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So when it comes to historical fiction, I agree with Guy Vanderheg, who said, history tells us what people do. Historical fiction helps us imagine how they felt. So whether it's Joanna's new book or one of the ones she recommended, I hope you found, find some great historical fiction to read this week, my friends. <music>